Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, and our King. Greetings. It is a great pleasure to be with you in the house of the Lord, gathered together with so many people that we love and uh, people that we have just come to know and to be built together with. Amen? Amen. We've had an amazing, wonderful several days of fellowship and learning, and uh, we have been inspired uh, to do the work of the great mission, which is to go into all the world and preach the gospel, to baptize people, to make disciples, and to teach them everything we know. You know, you don't have to know everything, but whatever you know and whatever you've been taught, we need to be out there teaching that to other people and making disciples of all men. Amen? Amen. You know, this is something that should rejoice our heart. The Bible says that when one sinner repents... That the heaven is filled with joy. Amen? Amen? And I do believe that in the coming weeks and months, there will be people from all over this community that will be coming to the knowledge of Christ. It might be in their living rooms. It might be on the street as we, you know, we're praying on the street with people who were crying and who were, are asking for us to pray for them, who were thankful that we were there. But they may even come to be a part of our church. And maybe God could bring them into a place where they could, they could know what you know about his goodness, about his mercy, about his love, and about the hope that is in Christ. Amen? Amen. David was a man who loved to praise God. And in Psalm 47, 147, our call to worship, he said, Praise ye the Lord. Can you say that with me? Praise ye the Lord. For it is good to sing praises unto our God, for it is pleasant. And praise is comely. Do you know God looks at our praise and he thinks it's beautiful? How many of you want to be beautiful for God? Yes. Amen. I do. And I am so glad. The Lord doth build up Jerusalem. That's us, folks. We are that new Jerusalem, that city coming out of heaven, being planted here on earth, the kingdom of God on earth. He gathereth together the outcasts of Israel. How many of you know what it is to have been an outcast? I sure do. He heals the broken in heart and he binds up their wounds. He telleth the number of the stars and he calls them all by names. And if he knows the stars' names, I can tell you right now, he knows yours. Great is our Lord and of great power. His understanding is infinite. For the Lord lifteth up the meek and he casteth the wicked down to the ground. Sing unto the Lord with thanksgiving. Sing unto him 
uh, on the harp and praise to our God, who covereth the heaven with clouds, who prepareth rain for the earth and maketh grass to grow upon the mountains. He giveth the beast his food, and to the young ravens which cry, he delighteth not in the strength of the horse, and he takes not pleasure in the legs of man. But the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him, and in those that hope in his mercy. Praise ye the Lord. Say it with me. Praise ye the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise thy God, O Zion. For he that strengthened the bars of the gates, and he that has blessed thy children within thee, he maketh peace in thy borders, and he filleth thee with the finest of wheat. He sendeth forth his commandment upon the earth, and his word runs very swiftly. He gives snow like wool, and scatters the hoarfrost like ashes. He casteth forth his ice like morsels. Who can stand before his cold? He sendeth out his word, and he melteth them. He causeth his wind to blow, and the waters to flow. And he shows his word unto Jacob, and his statutes to the judgments of Israel. He hath not dealt with any nation as for his judgments in these ways. They have not known them, but you can praise the Lord. Say it with me. Praise Praise ye the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you have called your people into your presence to worship you, Lord. We come longing to hear your voice and to be changed by it, Lord. Lord, we know that you are holy, and for this reason we want to be holy in all manner of conversation. Lord, as we are challenged by the word today, may we not be forgetful hearers, but doers of it. May we be blessed in all of the deeds that we do, that our efforts to submit ourselves to the will of God We pray today, Lord, that as we call on you to forgive us of our sins, you will forgive us, that you will cleanse us, uh, and you will take our sins that were scarlet and make them white as wool. In Christ's name we pray, and all God's people said a resounding amen. Amen. standing with me for just a little bit as I read my text for you from the book of Acts chapter 16. I'm going to be reading the first five verses. My sermon today is called Three Women and the Birth of a Church. And it seems that it is uh, that God has been dealing with me about women in uh, the work of God. Um, We've been talking about Laura Carson and Sarah Goodson and Ann Judson and, uh, and I am blessed not only to have sons who feel a call uh, to do the work of the ministry, but to have daughters as well. And so I believe that God uses women. Everybody say, I believe God uses women. God uses women. He, women supported Jesus in his ministry. Women went to go see if his body was there and uh, were the first heralds of the resurrection. God has used women. In the passage that was just read from Philippians 4, the women there were in a little bit of trouble because they'd been arguing with each other. Uh, but still, he said he labored with them together in the gospel. I had the readings done from the book of Philippians because it is the Philippian church that we will see born here in uh, Acts chapter 16. Sometimes a church is born. And that's what's happening. And we have been learning what it is to uh, be led of the Spirit. And we're going to see it firsthand and what God is doing here through three women 
and the birth of a church. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra and beheld a certain disciple there whose name was Timotheus. He was the son of a woman, which was a Jewess, and believed. But his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him, and he took and he circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Let us pray. Lord God, we pray as we go through Acts chapter 16 and you speak to us, Lord, that you would lead us and guide us into truth. Lord, that we would be challenged by what we see and we would, uh, our, our, our own thinking would be brought low. Lord, you said that every thought that exalts itself above you, Lord, should be made and taken captive. Take some thoughts captive today as we seek so much, Lord, to be under your reign and your submission and your word and not our own way of thinking. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. you may be seated. The book of the Acts of the Apostles, or as most refer to it by its shortened name, the book of Acts, is an incredible historical account of the establishing of the very first churches in the world. When you read the Bible and you're reading an epistle, you're reading a letter to an already established church. When you're in the uh, time of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, which are also written as historical accounts, you're reading about the life of Jesus and the discipling of the twelve. But in the book of Acts, you see that all that they learned, how they put it into practice, and how all that Jesus taught them, they put legs to. We're not supposed to be people that hear the word and uh, become experts in all the nuances of it, but we're people who hear it, and as a result of hearing it, we do it. Everybody say, do it. So here in Acts chapter 16, we read about three women. They were Gentile converts, and they were were pivotal in the time of the Apostle Paul and the birth of the Philippian church, among other things. This account is the most extensive record of how Spirit-filled men and women were used in the kingdom expansion and the starting of churches. So if you want to know how a church gets started, you're not going to have a better example of it anywhere in the Bible than right here where we're going to be. The foundational apostolic activity fills the book of Acts from beginning to end. From the birth of the church in Jerusalem, we as a group have been learning that our call in the great mission is to start where, guys? In? In? In Jerusalem, he said, after that, you shall go to, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. You shall be, uh, you, the power of God is going to be given to you, and you shall be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. The great mission begins right here, right where we are. Our Jerusalem is five points. Our Jerusalem is uh, Mount Sterling and Orient and the little communities around here. They are our Jerusalem. 
the Philippian church here uh, that uh, that is being formed here uh, started after a series of churches had begun. From the birth of the church in Jerusalem, which James would end up pastoring, that formed in the days after Peter's Pentecost sermon, uh, where 3,000 people were added to the church, they on, went on to Samaria, and they went on to the uttermost parts of the earth, as Jesus had told them to do. These stories of real places and people are foundational to understanding how God works among us. You know, that's what people are always wondering. They hear these things, we should do this, we should do this. But what does everybody want to know? They want to know, how do you do that? I heard one of the young girls uh, talking. Well, in fact, it was one of my young girls in my bedroom this morning, which we can hardly get to church because they're up there and they're just like, you know, and, and, and you know this, and you know, and you know, this must be how God works. And, and, and you know, this is, this is what goes on. I'm like, kids, get in the car. We got to go. We can't be here. We, we're having church at the church, not in here. Come on, come on, go, go, go. But they said, oftentimes, I think people are intimidated because they think they got to go out and they got to preach the whole message of the whole gospel to anyone they meet. And they go, and you know what we found out yesterday? You just go and talk to people. And you just ask them how they're doing. You just buy an ice cream from them. You just say, hey, what's going on in your life? And you just say, hey, could I pray for you? That's a little less intimidating than uh, you have to lay out exactly uh, justification, sanctification, redemption, and the process of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Like You don't have to teach a, uh, a class. In fact, I don't recall Jesus ever doing anything like that. Except for his disciples when he was discipling them. Discipling them is not evangelism. That's what we do after they are evangelized. By the time of Acts 16, Paul had gone from being a persecutor and an enemy of the church to becoming a friend of God and an apostle, apostle born out of season, but in God's perfect timing. I'll tell you what, you're going to let you read the book of Acts and you're going to find out that people have plans and people think they know what's going on and people think I'm going to go here and then they can't go here and then they think, oh, I'm going to go there, but then they don't go there. And on their way to the place that they think they're going, they meet the person that God has actually sent for them to go. And we're going to learn something about this because this is not a work of reason and power and whatever. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. It says that it is not by might, it is not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Peter had already been chided in a dream about his reluctance to go to the Gentiles by learning not to call unclean what God had cleansed. Sometimes we need these same warnings when our norms are challenged, when things that we have uh, made routine in our lives stand in the face of where God is taking us. We, we've never done that before. Well, that's not what we normally do. Uh, is that what we did last year? You know, and God says, uh, do you remember the story of Moses? He thought there was a pattern. Oh, look, I've got this neat staff. And I'm going to take this staff and it's going to turn into a serpent. Wow. Now I'm going to take the staff and I'm going to hold it out. And the Red Sea's going to part. Oh, now I got the staff again. I'm going to whack a rock because everybody's thirsty and water's going to come out. What happened when Moses began to think that there was some sort of methodology that had to do with dead sticks? If you know the story, eventually God says, why don't you speak to the rock? But Moses, he, he goes ahead and whacks it instead. Why? Because he was thinking he knew better than God. God doesn't need sticks. God doesn't have methods. God is, you don't, you don't get a spell book, okay? 
You see, people that worship the devil or do witchcraft, they get a spell book out. You know, they say these things as if somehow these things are, are, are bound to our little, our little rituals that we do. If God is God, he is not a, a, a genie to be rubbed on a lamp. He is not a spirit to be conjured through some ritual that we might contrive. He is a God who fills us with his spirit and leads us, and he is our friend. We must always follow the leading of the spirit and not what we're comfortable with or what we have come to expect. As Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, those that are born of the spirit, it's not really easy to tell where they're going. And it's not easy to tell where they came from either, right? You know the scripture, the wind bloweth where it listeth. And thou hearest the sound thereof, and you cannot tell whether it goes or where it comes. And so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Is that you? Or are you very predictable? Do you know exactly what you're going to do, when you're going to do, and how you're going to do it? And are you planning it out? God says if you want to be born of the Spirit, as, as Jesus had told Nicodemus, you've got to be like the wind. Paul was finding this to be true of himself and what God was doing through him. And as Acts chapter 16 opened, we are introduced for the first time in God's word to a very important young man who would himself be among those amazing early church fathers that God chose for his work. Do you know God picks people out? He doesn't pick out the best people. He doesn't pick out the people you would think. Pick out the ones that you would set up, right? We have examples of that in the Bible. We would have picked King Saul, head and shoulders above the everyone in Israel, good looking and from a nice family and all of that. That's what we would pick. And God says, yeah, that's how you pick them. But I pick them a little bit different. I'm going to pick the youngest son of a man named Jesse, the one that his own father didn't even think ought to be brought in the room for consideration by Samuel. That's how God works. We work like that. God's going to raise up a warrior from what? From a guy who writes songs and plays a harp and sings to a sheep? Really? Oh, yeah. God goes, there's my king, the man that will serve after me who will obey my word and follow my will. And he picks this little man, this little guy here from a home of a, a split home. From a father who doesn't even serve God and a, a woman who does. And says, I'm going to make him one of the greats. Anybody know what that fellow's name was? Did I already tell you? Well, I already read it for you, didn't I? His mother had been converted, but his father never was, as far as the Bible tells us. They came to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus. Everybody say Timotheus. Timotheus. If he were in America, we would probably call him Timmy. He was a young fellow. He was, and, and I love how God's word, every word of God is inspired. And so they said he was the son of a certain woman. Now, really? <laughs> of course he was, right? Everybody is the son or daughter of some certain woman, right? But they're wanting to point out the woman here. That's this sermon is about three women and the birth of a church. And this woman, uh, she is the first of these three women of my title. She was a Jewess. And she believed, but his father was a Greek. Somehow, she had made a, a bad decision along the line. And even as a Jew, she married a Greek. Probably not a perfect candidate, Brother Tim, for something good to happen in her life. Come on, you, you, you didn't make a good decision. How many of you have made some bad decisions? 
Oh, don't you think that that is going to keep God from using you? The Bible tells us that God doesn't use the great things. He uses the weak things of the world to confound the wisdom of the wise. And that when we make bad decisions, back row, when we make bad decisions in our life and they turn out bad, God doesn't go, well, that's it. I can't use you anymore. You messed up. You did something wrong. You got with a guy you shouldn't have got with and your life is a mess and you can't be used of God. The the devil wants you to think you can't be used of God. But I'm telling you right now, this woman was, and not only was she used of God, she was used of God to raise up a man of God. It doesn't tell us her name here, but we learn in verse five of Paul's first letter to Timothy that her name is Eunice. Everybody say Eunice. Now, no one here is naming their daughter Eunice as far as I can tell, but She'd be someone to be worthy to be named after. I can tell you that. We also learn about her mother. And this is, this is kind of neat too. Why in the Bible take the time to tell us about his mother and his grandmother? Because they were women of faith. And Paul says this, you know that faith that I saw in Lois, your grandmother? And you know the faith that I saw in your mother, Eunice? I see in you. You see, God, and I'm thankful for men, but do you know men uh, aren't the key to everything? God uses women. I'll say it again. God uses women. Being with so many enthusiastic young women this week, I feel it's very important to emphasize this. Being with women all the time who find their lives completely messed up and tangled up and and they feel hopeless and they feel trapped in their situation. I want to appeal to you today that God can change everything. He is not weak. From the life of Jesus until now, the role of women in the expansion of God's kingdom has been undeniable. In the case of Eunice, her role uh, as raising a godly son and And somehow, I I can't say how, in some sort of spiritual genetics, you know, somehow she passed the faith from grandma to the mom to to the little kid. I I don't know how it works, but it, it says that it was there. And I don't know, you know. But I'll tell you what, I can't credit anything in my life without remembering the prayers of my mother. I've told people time and time again, and I'll tell you, I went out. I've been awakened many times as a little boy to go to get a drink of water or whatever and found my mother at one o'clock in the morning on her face before the Lord in the couch in our living room, praying for her sons, praying for them that they would be dedicated to the preaching of the gospel. And her prayer is answered right here today in my own preaching raising a man or a woman of God who does the work of God is not somehow less noble than some other thing. It is a noble work being done here in the houses of our saints each day. And God takes pleasure in it. And you God be praised. So thankful for, uh, I could just start naming the women of our church and the, and the godly children that they're raising and the respectful way that they approach church and the kingdom of God and their willingness to serve folks. That is a work of God. That is a critical work of God. And we are thankful for it. And the church cannot survive without it. Paul meets this young men here and the saints in the area. Uh, this area is also known as Galatia thought very highly of this young man. Uh, Timothy, it says here in verse two was well reported. Brother Tim has been telling us the importance of, uh, people being found faithful, people becoming trustworthy. You don't trust somebody before you have a reason to do it. You don't put your trust in someone who has not been 
proven. And he was well reported by the brethren where at Lystra and Iconium. And so you know what Paul said? Paul said, I want to take this young fella with me. Him, Paul went with him and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters for they knew his father was a Greek. Now this is an important thing worth noting here. When you work for God, although circumcision was not necessary, and if you want to read Acts chapter 15, the chapter just before this chapter, it's all about that. That people were trying to make Christians uh, circumcise their children in an effort to make sure they were actually Christians. And they settled this once and for all. It wasn't necessary. So what's going on? Now we're in chapter 16 and it begins with the circumcision of a young Christian boy whose father was a Greek. Does that tell you anything? On the fact, you don't need to be circumcised. Yes, it benefits in lots of days that you became, you were Jewish. But let me tell you, having been now made perfect in flesh, all of the child, the book of, yeah, what do we have here, Jason? We have serving this young man. The reason I'm bringing this out is because of God. Do what needs. That's what we do. And I can tell you right now. Could you imagine? Hey, uh, Jonathan, where's Jonathan? Jonathan, you and me, we're going to be doing some good ministry together. Uh, and I need you to, I need you to do a physical, painful, surgical procedure that's really painful for guys that are men instead of little babies. You want to go work for God? Uh, I'm not really sure. About that. <laughs> What it tells us right here is that he knew that in order to minister to the Jews, he going to do. He was going to have a Jew to those people. If he was going to, in the, they don't let people in the synagogue for uncircum, if they're uncircumcised. Paul planned on going there anytime he could to teach and preach, and he wanted Timothy to be able to go with him. People of God, when you are serving the Lord, you become what you need to become and to do what you need to do. There's a, there's a great thing, we don't have time to go into it, but there's another time where a guy named Titus won't get circumcised. He wasn't called to go work with the Jews and the Jewish Christians who were nasty and whose minds were deluded because of the thing they'd done in their past. They were demanding that he be circumcised. And Paul goes, he'll never be circumcised. Why? Because he doesn't need to be. So circumcision or uncircumcision, it's not anything. It's a willingness to say, God, whatever you want me to do. Lord, do, do you need me to, you know, like if you remember Hudson Taylor, he's out there and he's in China and he's trying to minister to these people. And it's not the custom of, uh, of, of these men to have long hair. But what's Hudson Taylor do? He grows his hair big and long. You know, before they know it, they think that Hudson Taylor's Chinese. Why? He's becoming whatever he needs to be to help those people. Now, I'm not saying, you know, we're going to set up a tattoo parlor out back and you know, a body piercing thing over on the other side so we can go, I don't know. But what I am saying is that Paul said that I became, he said to the Jew, I, be, I was a Jew. To the Gentile, I became a Gentile. I did what I did. What is he trying to say? I'm not that important. And when you do the work of God and when churches are being established, you say, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to live? I don't care. It's God's kingdom come and his kingdom come first. We would be willing this question is this, would you be willing to do, what would you be willing to do to be used of God? We live in a world that says, well, you know, God can use me just like I am. I mean, I'm not going to be different than I am. Is that really the message here? I hope the answer is anything with big, giant, capital letters, anything, Lord, here I am, send me. 
Verse 4, as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders, which were at Jerusalem. And so the churches were established in the faith and increased in number. Don't miss this verse in chapter 4. Churches need organization. They need things set up properly and they need order. Paul and Timothy were helping to bring structure and organization to the church. This is an important role and one that is not to be overlooked, even if it's not the most exciting. It takes a variety of gifts to do the whole work of God. God has gifted different people with organizational and uh, abilities to administrate that are critical for the growth of the church. And so I'm thankful for those gifts that God has given the church. So Paul, here he is in verse 6 of Acts chapter 16. And when they had gone throughout Phrygia and with the region of Galatia, and they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word of Asia. Do you think that they got a letter from the Holy Ghost? Do you think of an audible voice came out of heaven and say, do not go to Asia? What, what do you think happened? I'm not exactly sure. It doesn't tell us. But Asia here means the part of modern day Turkey on the Mediterranean Ocean just northwest of Israel. Okay. Now, who knows why or how this worked into God's plan? I don't know. I mean, I don't know why God could have just saved everybody in Asia. But what he did is he sent Paul walking through Asia, walking through Turkey, not making converts. He would go here and he would try and nothing would happen. He would go there and he would try and nothing would happen. You see, it wasn't just like, uh, let's play the numbers. We're here. Let's knock on all these doors and see how many we get. You know, an average of 4% of the people after you talk to 100, those people, it's not like that. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. We don't need to understand everything to be able to see God's grand scheme. We need to be tuned into what God wants for us every day. It may not be clear to us here how God spoke to them, but the following verses show us how God talked to them and did send them on to their work in a completely different way. What he did is he forbid them. And you know what they did? They made a new plan. When you think you know what God wants and you go to do it and you can't do it and a door shuts, well, then you just keep going. You go somewhere else. And that's what they did. They were led, it seems, by where God would not let them go. I mean, I, I wish God gave us a manual how to follow him, you know, and we had the Urim and the Thummim, you know, or we had a set of dice. We rolled and like, Lord, should we go? And we'd throw the dice out right there or whatever, you know, and you might think, well, that's silly. I really do kind of wish that. But, you know, God has seen fit that that's not what he does. We go and we try to do, we're like, oh, we're going to go over here. And on the way there, our car breaks down. Now we could go, oh, we got to go. We got to go. We're like, well, you know, we are right here. Pastor Ning, when they threw him in jail, he's like, you know, God called me to preach the gospel and to people. And there are people in jail. Okay. Being in jail is okay. Like that was it. He was happy. So God forbid him. They made a new plan. God stops them again. They go another way. They are led, it seems, by where God will not let them go at first, but then where he invites them to go through a dream. What's he teaching them? He's teaching them to always be talking to him, always listening to him, always being in a relationship with him and being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. We got to follow him. After they were come to Mysia in verse 7, they essayed to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Mysia came to Troas. And go, go, go. That's what we see. Paul's just going and going. In fact, it kind of looks like he is a pinball in God's pinball machine. He's off of this bumper and he's off of that bumper. And then God strikes him and he goes here. And everywhere he's going, it seems like nothing is happening. And you go, you know, I think God could be a little bit more organized than this. That's what you might think. 
But that might just prove you're an engineer and not a person filled with the Spirit. Now, if you don't have a map when you're reading this, you miss some of this, okay? So God sends him to uh, Lystra and he sends him to Derby, and now he's in Troas. Now he's, he's, if you watch this, it's like bing, 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 bing. And while he's in Troas, God gives Paul a dream in the middle of the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and he prayed, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. Now, if you don't have a map, you kind of miss this, right? You might be like, Oh, I'm over in Harrisburg, and then God tells me to go to Orient. Well, it's not quite like that. So he is in Troas, and he's looking for someone to preach the gospel to. He's looking for something good to do. And God sends a dream in the middle of the night, a man from Macedonia. And Luke, the man in Macedonia, do you know how far away Macedonia is from Troas? 250 miles. He doesn't have a plane. He doesn't have a train. He doesn't have a car. He's got to figure out how to go. Now, why in the world God would send him to Lystra and Derby and all of these different places? Well, we know I went to Lystra and Derby because he needed a Timothy, right? So he collected his Timothy. Now he's walking around. He, maybe he needed a little bit of time to figure out how to work with Timothy, to find out if he could trust Timothy, to find out if he could go through hard times or whatever. But God is not opening the doors. He keeps shutting them and he sends a dream in the middle of the night of a man in Macedonia praying, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. I love verse 10. Verse 10 is something where if you want to live for God, you want to work for God, you want to be used of the Spirit. I love this word. It says, after he saw the vision, immediately. This is my favorite word here. After, maybe it's just because of my personality, you know, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord. Now, there's something here that the text doesn't tell us, but it, you, you missed this, okay? Before, it was they. Everybody say they. But in verse 10, it changes to a we. And miss this if you're, if you're not real careful, if you're not a person who looks at the details. So you know what makes me say, hey, wait a minute, I may have just figured out why old, uh, why Paul and Timothy made it out to Troas, because now the they becomes a we. Now, who in the world, how did that happen? Did they mess up, Derek, you think? They're writing down, and it was they, 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 and now it's we, we, we. What happened, guys? The guy who's writing the story joined the party. So now we have Timothy, and now we have Luke. And we, now we know why the pinball has been going around, because he's collected a Timothy, and now he's collected a Luke, and now they can go where they need to go. The vision comes, and they said, send these men to Macedonia, and immediately, everybody say immediately, do you know when you obey God? Everybody say it. So he looses from Troas in verse 11. He comes with a straight course to Samothracia. Okay? So a straight course. He made a beeline for Macedonia because he's got his team now. He's got Luke and he's got Timothy and he's got a call from God to go over. And he's like, God is going to use us here. Luthien from Troas, they came on a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis, and from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we, everybody say we, we were in that city abiding certain days. So they're in the city. So now, now they're there, and now they've been there for days, and nothing is happening. 
They don't know. They're like, God, you sent us here. You said Macedonia. You didn't even say what city. So we just went to the capital city in the middle of Macedonia. Okay, God, we're here. And they're just there. It says, and they dwelt there for certain days. And I love verse 13 because verse 13 is what happens when the people, when you're sent somewhere, you're going around and you're looking, you're like, where is it? Where, God, what is it? What do you do? What do you, where have you sent me? Why am I here? I don't really know why I'm here, but why am I here? And they're going around. And when they run out of everywhere to go, I think it took them about three days to run out of their ideas. So on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city. So now they're out by the city and they're out by a river. And there was prayer being made out there by this river. And we sat down and we started speaking to the women. Everybody say the women that were there. Could you imagine? He's been, he's seen a vision of a man in Macedonia and he can't find any men to listen to him or any men that will talk to him. And so he finally gets tired of walking around Philippi, leaves the town, goes by the river and there's women. I can imagine inside Luke, he's going, oh man. Where is this man of Macedonia? Where is he at? He's like, all there are a bunch of women over here. But a certain woman, this is woman number two. Her name was Lydia. She was a seller of purple. And she was not even from Philippi. She was from Thyatira. And she worshiped God. And she heard us. Her heart, the Lord opened, that she attended to the things that were spoken by Paul. Why in the world did she listen This is another thing because God had prepared her already in advance to listen. That's why when we go, we don't worry. If they don't want to talk to us, we don't care. We're looking for Lydia. We're looking for Lydia who says, what did you say? Tell me about it. Tell me more about it. I want to know more about this Jesus. And so what did they do? He's like, well, this may not be the man, but she wants to listen. And Jesus said, go tell him and whoever wants to listen talk. And so he began to talk to Lydia and Paul baptized her, her and her whole household. And she besought us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. The church at Philippi began in the house of a woman named Lydia down by the river. And if that wasn't enough to call Paul to go, what in the world have you done? Lord, you sent me to help a man in Macedonia. I went to the capital city. I couldn't find it there. I found some women by the the, the riverside and I baptized this woman. So you know what God does? He sends a third. Here we have woman number three. Verse 16, it came to pass when we went to prayer, a certain damsel, which means a young lady, she was possessed with a spirit. Of divination. She met us and she brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. This woman was a fortune teller and some sort of uh, demonic power worked in her in a a manifestable way to where it could earn them money because whatever she did was amazing and it was magical. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And she did this for me. You might go, Well, that was really nice. Well, whatever it was, apparently they couldn't even preach. They couldn't talk to anybody because she's standing over his shoulder. Hey, these men are come from God. They're here to change the world. Like, could you go away, lady? Like, they're men from God. They're going to they're gonna teach away. It's like, could you leave us alone? Because this woman's driving us crazy all night and day. It's a, it's a true report. It's right, but she's driving us crazy. Shut up. So you know what they did? Paul being very grieved. And you might go, I don't think it went like that. Paul being grieved. He didn't like it. 
He didn't like that her saying what was true. It was true, right? They've come from God. They've come to... Would, would you shut up? He turned and said to the spirit, and this is an, another important thing, is the woman his enemy? What is that spirit? Folks, you need to know when you are out there and you are dealing with people, you are dealing with demonic forces. They will resist you, Brother Tim and them. Well, as soon as they spoke to this woman, someone yelled out inside of a house. They yelled, get out! Right? Probably was the voice of the devil. And it was a woman, right? Get out! That's a place you want to go back. Brother Tim has been in this long enough to know. Now there's a hot lead. I mean, when they don't care, when it's whatever, fine. But when they're like, get out, you vile! And you're like, wow, ooh, (laughs) yeah. Maybe we got go back there and we might say, evil spirit, come out. I know this is a little bit crazy. This is book of Acts, okay? Paul being grieved turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out. And when her master saw that the hope of their gain was gone, they caught Paul in silence and they drew them in the marketplace under the rulers and they brought them to the magistrate saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, because we are good Romans. And we want to be good Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes. Now, if you are in ministry, you might get your clothes torn off. And it is going to be the will of God when they rip your clothes off. Now, what's interesting to me, this whole story and what is getting ready to happen next... There's only one reason in the world for it to happen. Now, I don't understand why God calls a man in Troas to go 250 miles away to save a man. And he's already so far two women. Their lives are changed. And then after those women's lives get changed, uh, the changing of the second woman, the demonic woman's life here in this case, when they do, it makes everybody mad and they rip their clothes off and they beat them and they throw them in jail. And you might go, well, why in the world did God need that? Well, you're going to find out. Because there was somebody that God wanted to reach who was in the jail. And do you know that if God is sending you to reach the lost man and he happens to be in jail, you might get to go to jail too. Is this real exciting for some of you people wanting to work for God? Now, I want to work for God, but I don't know about that. Not only did they rip now, why did they have to do this? They ripped their clothes off and they beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. That's something that the jailer, right? Now, who would have thought the jailer probably responsible for beating them? I don't even know. I mean, if you got a guy and he's ahead of the jail and guys are being put in jail and beat, might have been the jailer that beat him. I don't know. But there they were. Now, what in the world is this for? Now, we don't have time to go into this all today, but I'll tell you, God is birthing a church through this. They are getting to watch men of God come to do the work of God and get rejected and get beaten and get imprisoned for the entire purpose of meeting the jailer. What are they learning? What what, what did Brother Tim read for us? For I I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I've learned how to both abound. I've learned uh, how to to suffer loss. Or was that you who who was reading that? He says, for to me to live is chapter one. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. But nevertheless, it must be that God wants me alive because I'm not dead. 
Folks, I'm telling you, you want a recipe to seeing churches born? You want to see people come to Christ? You better follow the Holy Spirit. You better be willing to get your clothes ripped off. You better be willing to get beat. Because as Brother Tim read at the end, God not only saw fit that he would save us, but that we would suffer shame for his name. When he wrote the book of Philippians, did he have some bona fides? Because they remembered how he was treated and how he got thrown in jail. And as a result, they had a church in their neighborhood. God does this to his people. You might go, I don't like that. Well, <laughs> you better find something else to do then. It won't be half as fun. Having received such a charge, the jailer thrust them into the inner prison and he made their feet fast in the stocks. So he may have beat them. We definitely know the jailer put chains on them and he put them in solitary confinement down in the middle of the worst dungeon that it can be. But we know what happened, right? They said, Lord, why have you done this to us? Lord, you must not love us. Lord, it's so terrible. Is that what they did? And they started talking to the jailers. You know what? I had a good life. I had a good life in Israel. I was from a good family. We had plenty of money. And then I served God. And then and all this bad things happened to me. Is that what they did, Joy? And I love the timing. I love the timing. Because, you know, you can fake out being encouraged in the Lord for a minute. But at midnight, <laughs> at midnight when no one cares and you're in solitary confinement and you're in chains and you, and you see no hope. Folks, they don't, you get locked in the inner jail, a Philippian jail in that day of a Roman prison. You are never coming out. You're a dead man. But at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed. Do you think their prayers were quiet? And they sang unto God. Now, I know they weren't quiet because the next verse says, the prisoners heard them. <laughs> they prayed and they sang praises. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom. And the people are like, what in the world? What kind of nutcases do we have in here? It was a really peaceful prison. But what happened when they began to praise God and they began to sing? Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all of the doors were opened and everyone's bands were loosed. There's some more. Not only were their bands loosed, but everybody's were. God uses us to see other men set free. The keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword, and he was ready to kill himself because he thought the prisoners left. You know, when Jesus sets you free, you don't have to run from the jailer. You don't have to run. I mean, would you run real fast, Derek, from the chains and the jail if God caused an earthquake and everybody's chains fell off and you saw like angels and light? Would you be like, oh, I better run? They're not running. They're not running at all. They're like, you know what? God must have sent us here. Paul, who's probably, you know, maybe was beat up by this guy. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's still bleeding a little from when he got whacked. Sees that the man is going to hurt himself. And he cries with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. And he called for a light and he sprang in and he came trembling and he fell down before Paul and Silas and they brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now you may go, that seems like a strange question. 
But you know what it tells me, Brother Chris? That they were listening to their prayers. And they were listening to their praise. And they were singing. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. Oh, he put a song. And they're thinking, what in the, who are these people? And when they were singing and they were praying and whatever they were doing, it didn't take a sermon apparently at all. Their life had been a sermon. Here they were, thankful to be there. Here they are, not running away. Here they are. God has obviously let them go. We don't know, whatever. It was so obvious that he comes in, he falls down, and he knows to fall down before Paul and Silas. Why? Because he knows that God has done whatever is being done. And he asked the question, what must I do to be saved? And you know, I think it was a combo. I think, I think that for him, God was... Probably what he thought he was asking is, how could I not get killed? What could I do to get y'all not to leave the jail? Because the Romans are going to kill me if you leave. What could I do? What could I do to get y'all to stay? I really think there was a dual thing happening here. Kind of like that man at the gate, beautiful, Brother Tim, where he said, he said, uh, silver and gold have I none, right? He thought he was there asking for silver and gold. He's like, oh, we don't have any of that kind of silver and gold, but we got some gold and silver for you. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee. He's saying, how can I be saved? How can me and my family be okay? And he says, I'll tell you how to be saved because there's only one way to be saved, right? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved in your house. And they spake unto them the word of the Lord and all that were in the house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. They get water. And it sounds like they're washing the stripes that they had made. Isn't this amazing? The jailer that had probably caused them or certainly was a part of it all. He's washing their stripes. And when their water's there, he's teaching them. He said, you see how you're washing the stripes off of my back? Do you know the blood of Jesus Christ through baptism is, is going to? And we know we don't believe in baptism or regeneration. But he's explaining to them what God is going to do. You're washing this blood off of me and you're washing my stripes. God is going to wash you from your sins. And they baptized them, he and all of his, everybody in the house, all of his kids and his wife and everybody. And when they brought them into the house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all of his house. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God sends him out. To save a man and he meets two women. He takes with him a young man from Lystra and Derby from that area there. A man whose daddy wasn't even a believer. He doesn't know why God isn't answering his prayers in Troas. But in Troas he gives him a Luke. And then when he gets his team he goes. And instead of finding what he thinks he's going to find. He finds Lydia. And then he finds a demon possessed little girl. And then he gets thrown in jail. Folks I'm telling you right now. That is how God works. There's no plan, but the plan is this. Here I am, Lord, send me. Where you want me to go, I will go. I don't know, but when I get there, I don't even know what I'm going to say. But in the same hour that I know that I have to say something, I know that you'll fill my mouth. People of God, let us learn about the three women and the church being, being born in Acts chapter 16. And remember that God, we, you know, God could give us a whole new church filled with people coming to Christ 
us discipling the nations right here. I'm thankful for the people that God has given us here. But I want to see some people. I want to see some jailers. I want to see some demon-possessed girls. I want to see some women that are praying somewhere, but they don't know about the God they're even praying to. And God will send us to them to teach them about the God that they don't know. Amen. Let us pray. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.